Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's a great blessing that we can be here again to worship our Triune God. Uh, welcome to all of you that are present here, and if there's anybody watching along on the live stream, we welcome you as well. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. There are some announcements again from the consistory, these are similar to this morning. Consistory will meet as elders and deacons from 7.30 tomorrow evening in the consistory room, and that will have also the mission board attending at the beginning of that meeting. Reverend Tahart is here to preach in our church this afternoon, and we're very thankful to have him here. Um, and this Sunday, uh, wards 1, 3 and 5 will have the opportunity straight after this service to meet and greet with Reverend and Mrs Tahart. And um, I'm led to believe there's also some refreshments available too. So we encourage you all to stay along and um, come and talk to them. And next week, Sunday, wards 2, 4 and 6 will have that opportunity in the afternoon, after the afternoon service, the Lord willing. Consistory will meet with Reverend Tahart this coming evening, um, on Thursday, sorry, in the consistory room, commencing at 7.30. And as I mentioned this afternoon, we have Reverend Tahart leading the worship service. He's a minister of our sister church in Melville. Before we commence the worship, let's praise the name of our God and we'll sing from hymn 71, verse 1. together for worship we do so recognizing we do so in the presence of holy God and so let us lift up our hearts unto the Lord we confess together that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth amen and receive God's greeting grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ amen let's sing together from our book of praise from Psalm 146 the stanzas 1 2 and 3 Yeah. 
continue to stand and we'll sing together from hymn one, the Apostles' Creed. fashioned us. Yes, you, you created the man and the woman in the garden. And you placed them in the garden uh, and you also created them that they may reflect you, that they might uh, honour you, that they might worship you, that they might bear your image. And we give you praise, your Heavenly Father, because you are the one who breathed into the man the breath of life. You are the one who has recreated us, recreated us after the image of your Son. It is in this way that even though we have fallen from that privileged position in which we were created in the first place, you receive us as your children, and we may come to you, and we may worship you, and we may address you as our Father. Father, this is indeed a most wonderful thing. And we praise you for this. May we never take this for granted. And may we never also fail to recognize in our own weak minds something of the, your immeasurable love and of the mighty act of our Lord Jesus Christ that he would give himself up for us. And so, of Heavenly Father, we pray that we may live in the redemption that we have received in him. And we know from your word that that means that we must love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. It also means that we must love our neighbor as ourselves. And Father, that means that as Christians, it's not just how we address you and honor you. But being a Christian must also affect the way that we address and honor one another. You have commanded us not to kill. You have commanded us to love our neighbor. And yet, Lord, we see violence all around us. We see the violence of war. We grieve at the ongoing war in the Ukraine. We grieve at the, the devastation, the loss of life in Israel, in Palestine. We long for such wars to come to an end. And we pray for that, even recognizing, however, that wars and rumors of wars 
will continue until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see also a desecration of life closer by in our own uh, city, in our own country. We see this first of all, Lord, in, in the way in which there is a lack of regard for one another. A lack of regard for the health and the well-being of one another. We see this particularly in the lack of regard for those who are the most vulnerable. For babies in the womb. And for those who are elderly. For those who are in a situation where they are coming closer to the end of their life. Where laws have even been put in place to make it legal to take such life away. It horrifies us, Lord. But it also causes us to, to cry out more and more, not just for justice for the oppressed, but for redemption in Christ. Because, Lord, we know that this is not just a concern for others, but for us too. We need to see life as you see life. And we need also to truly love our neighbor, just as we love you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we hear from your word this afternoon, that we may uh, be, be encouraged and, and comforted, that we may also, uh, in this way, be strengthened uh, in our resolve also, in our love for you and in our love for our neighbor. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This afternoon I was being asked to preach to you from God's word concerning the sixth commandment, you shall not kill. So the scripture reading with respect to this comes from Genesis 9 and Psalm 139. First of all from Genesis chapter 9, we're going to read chapter 9 verse 1 through to 17. This is just after the worldwide flood in the time of Noah. The flood had subsided and Noah and his wife, his sons and their wives and indeed all the living creatures on the ark uh, were able to, to come onto dry land. Gen <clears throat> Genesis 9 verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and on all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be faithful, be fruitful, and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, 
This is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So far from Genesis 9, let's now read together from Psalm 139. Psalm 139 to the choir master, Psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search on my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. And lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So far, the reading from God's word, may we be blessed by the reading of it. Well, let's sing from that same psalm, Psalm 139, verse 7, 11, and 13.
I was asked to preach to you God's word this afternoon with respect to the sixth commandment, and so let's read together from Laws F40 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is on page 555 in your book of praise. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor, but thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. Question 106. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, when you left hospital as a tiny little baby, five years, ten, twenty, fifty, or even more years ago than that, when you left hospital, there was nothing created that was more precious to your father and your mother than you. wrapped up in a tiny little bundle, just your face, perhaps a tiny hand or an arm uh, or two peeking out, you were beautiful. And it's not just dad and mum who thought that you were. You were clucked and cooed over by your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts, your older brothers and sisters if you had any. And even by strangers who stopped to look at you when you were wheeled about in the pram and the shopping center. When you were born, you were precious. And each one of you, every single one of you, is still precious. You are precious not just to those who love you, but you are precious especially to the one who made you. You see, it's not just your parents who rejoiced when you were born. So did God. You are a wonderful work of God himself. A work that he oversaw from the moment that you were conceived in the womb. We sang about that and we read about that, I should say, also from Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And even after you were born, the Lord has continued to look upon you in his love. Also from Psalm 139, verse 3. You search up my path, and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. And verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. And verse 16 it says that he had marked out the days of your life, when as yet there were none of them. And so this psalm teaches us that he loves you, that he cares for you, that you are precious to him. 
And you are precious not in the first place because of how lovable or how beautiful you look, but because He who made you to be, but because of He who made you to be, and, of he, and, and because of who He redeemed you to be. It is through the eyes of God that you should see yourself. And it's through the eyes of God that we should see one another. And when you do that, then you'll begin to understand the reason why God has underlined the preciousness and why God has safeguarded the sanctity of human life. When He gave us the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And so I preached to you the gospel of life under the following theme. All human life is precious. All human life is precious. Two points. First, it's value. Second, it's re-value. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, this not only affected their relationship with God, but it also reflected their relationship with one another. Whereas Adam at first received his wife with joy and exclaimed, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. After eating of the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he blamed her for his wrongdoing. And he said to God, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And then having been banished from the Garden of Eden, the breakdown of the relationship showed itself not just in their marriage, but, but also then in the family, the children that came after them. Cain and Abel. Cain rising up against his brother Abel and killing him. And then with the blood of Abel crying up to God from the ground, Cain being banished from the, by the Lord from the home of Adam and Eve, becoming a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. But the violence did not end with the death of Abel, nor with the death of Cain. It became increasingly worse until Cain's descendant Lamech boasted and he said to Ada and Zillah, his two wives, he said, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And so it went on until Genesis chapter 6 verse 11 records, and I'll quote, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And this is why the Lord decided to destroy the world with the flood. Genesis 6 verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. The Lord was sorry that he'd made the man because of the violence that filled the earth. And so the reason why he sent the flood was not because God was tired with the world, nor that God had lost interest with it, nor that he considered the world to be worthless, but rather to protect and preserve the world and to preserve a people for himself. And that's why he saved the believer Noah and his family, along with two of every kind of animal. And then after the flood subsided, and Noah and his family were able to leave the ark. The Lord blessed Noah and he commanded him, his sons and their daughters to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. He wanted the man and the woman whom he created to be in his own image to once more fill the earth. But when he sent out Noah and his descendants to do this, God also did something else. He commanded the protection of human life. The animals were given to man for food. But man was not to be food for the animals. The Lord himself caused the wild animals to, to fear the man, to keep away from people. And God also said that should an animal kill a person, that animal must be put to death. You see, there's a great difference there's a great difference between an animal and a human being. An evolutionist will teach you that you are no more than a higher order of animals. 
You are a mammal whose ancestor is an ape. But the Lord teaches us in his word that you are fundamentally different to the animals. Because unlike the animals, you were created in the image of God. <coughs> and that is what you have to start with in order to understand the value of human life. You see, there is a difference between animals and people. Even though we are to respect animals as a part of God's creation, we are to manage them, we are to care well for the earth on God's behalf. And even though the cruelty and senseless killing of animals, as well as the killing of animals to extinction, is, is wrong, it is sinful in the eyes of God, there is a fundamental difference between people and animals. And although I make no judgment on the conversation, conservation effort, sorry, of, a, of our oceans, it may not be that a whale or that a shark is treated as being of greater value than a person. Whether that person be on a surfboard or in the womb or in the nursing home or in a hospice, the value of the person is greater than the value of any animal. Because your value, the value of a person lies in the fact that when we were created, we were created by God after his image. God created you to be somebody. He created you with the ability to think, to feel, to want, to speak, to answer, to choose, to love. He created you with a heart, with a mind, with a soul. He created you to be a person. And when He created the man and the woman, He created them in such a way that they reflected something of the very being of God. He created us in true righteousness and holiness so that with our whole nature, our heart, our mind, our will, our strength, we might reflect the very nature of God, of the God who created us. No, He did not create us to be God. But He did create us to be under Him and to represent Him as His image bearers on earth. It is true that the fall into sin has corrupted us to such an extent that in our sinful state we no longer truly reflect the image of God to the point that unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God, we are totally unable to do any good and we are inclined to all evil. But the fall into sin, it does not turn us into animals. There is still a fundamental difference between every human being and an animal. Even now we must still remember that, that mankind was created in the image of God. And that is why all human life is precious. You were fearfully and wonderfully made by your Creator. And as image bearers, you are of great value to Him. Now the world does not understand this. The world does not teach this. The world teaches us that, that humanity is no more than a complex bundle of cells. That we are no more than a highly evolved mammal. The world teaches us to place our own value on human life according to how precious that life is to us. And so the debates around euthanasia, when they were happening, they revolved around the question of the quality of life. Whether a person's life is worth living. Whether that person themselves thought that life was worth living. The matter of abortion, it becomes a question of, of the rights of the mother versus the rights of the unborn. The disabled are often killed in the womb because it is felt that their life would not be worth living. It would be kinder to, to terminate their life before birth. Or else they'll be too much of a burden to those around them. When capital punishment is promoted, it isn't done so on the basis of Genesis 9, but done so on the basis of this is the way to take revenge on those who killed or violated the life of another. Genocide is based on the assumption that certain races of people have no right to exist. And further, a person recklessly endangers himself because he thinks that it's entirely up to him as to how he lives and what he does with his body. And someone else harms his own body, perhaps even to the point of suicide because he hates his life and he thinks his life is worthless and there's no point in living. 
But the point in all of this is that we are then seeing life from the wrong purpose. If, sorry, we're then seeing life from the wrong perspective. All human life is precious. Yes, even your life. And even the life of one who is totally and permanently disabled. And even the life of your enemy. Because the value of human life does not lie in the value that you place on it yourself. Or the value that another might place on your life. But the value that is placed on our life is on the fact that you, that we, that they were fearfully and wonderfully made. Created in the image of God. And that's why the Catechism says in 105, answer 105, that you are not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. And that is why you are to love your neighbor as yourself, to show patience, uh, gentleness, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, to protect him from harm as much as you can, and to do good even to your enemies. Because we may not treat someone according to the value that you place on him or her. But according to the value that God has placed on him or her. And God declares that each and every one of his image bearers is of immeasurable value. And for this reason, human life is to be protected with the greatest protection since murder is an attack not just on another person, but on one who is created in the image of God. The Lord commanded in Genesis 9 verse 6 that murder must be punished with death. To quote, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. That's the reason why God gave for no murder. Violence does not come from God, but from the evil one whom our Lord Jesus Christ called a murderer from the beginning. Satan is the destroyer of life. He is the agent of death. And so as ambassadors of life, we must defend life by opposing those who would destroy it. And the government does bear the sword to prevent murder. And that sometimes will mean the death of one who is seeking to destroy life. We sang from Psalm 139 verse 11. Don't normally sing from that particular stanza. But it was in the defense of life, of true life with God, that David prayed to the Lord in Psalm 139, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. The value of human life is the value that is given to it by God, its maker, and God's word teaches us that all human life is precious for it was in the image of God that God created us. And so we must turn from everything that leads to death and instead turn to life. Yes, life with God and rejoice in the light of life. That brings me to the second point and that is life's revalue. The commandment, you shall not murder, is not just for Christians. It's for all people. That is beyond dispute. Because the Lord gave this command, not just in the Ten Commandments, but also to Noah. He said this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 5 and 6. Oh, by the way, of course, the Ten Commandments is applicable to all people as well. But here we have that command not to, to murder already here in Genesis 9, verse 5 and 6. And as for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. This command then is to be 
heeded, it has been listened to by all people. But if this command is to be heeded to by the world, how much more is it to be heeded to by the church? When the Lord gave His people, Israel, the Ten Commandments, they knew what it was like to live in the shadow of death. For 400 years, the people of Israel, they'd suffered the abuse and the shame of being slaves in Egypt. They were treated with contempt. Their very lives counted as nothing. Their children were thrown into the river Nile to be drowned. But now they've been set free. They have been redeemed to be the people of God. They were once more called to serve Him. And they've been created, they, they were once more have been redeemed to be the people of God. People who once were called to serve Him as they had been created to do in the first place. And so they were redeemed to live in freedom in the presence of God. Many years later, in Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet Isaiah would say, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. And if that is true for the people of Israel, it is certainly true for you, Church of Southern River, also. When it comes to our own lives, we too quickly worry about what other people will think, what others say. We too quickly judge ourselves according to, to how much we value ourselves, or we don't value ourselves. And that leads to all sorts of negative feelings and peer pressure. It's when we have a wrong view of ourselves and a wrong view of others that we, that we tear others down, that we belittle them, that we bully them. Why? To make ourselves look great. To make ourselves look good, to be accepted, to be popular, to, be, to, to appear smarter, to look more successful than the other. It is when we have a wrong view of ourselves and a wrong view of others that we also take too much notice of the negative looks, of the negative looks and the negative feelings of others. Or else we fear the negative looks and the words and the feelings of others. And so we feel rejected and worthless and hopeless. So many of us suffer from anxiety and from depression. So many of us struggle with personal failure, with the intense shame that comes with sin and mistakes. So many of us grieve over the failed dreams and dashed hopes and the joy of life, pleasure in the present, hope for the future. Is there missing from our lives? And so the one falls into the depths of despair and the other one develops an eating disorder. The one seeks to find relief in cutting and self-harm. The other turns to another addiction. The one becomes a recluse, blocking herself off from others and not daring to come close to anybody else. The other one lashes out in anger and frustration, hating and injuring and killing and abusing his neighbor. But my brothers and sisters, remember who you are. You are mine, God says. Do not be overly influenced by what others say or think, nor about what you might say or think. But be influenced by what God says, what He has said, and what He says He thinks. And yes, when you see yourself in the light of God's greatness and holiness, then you're going to see how far you and all people have fallen from the high position that God has given us at creation. And then indeed, in that sense also, you will detest yourself on account of your sins, and you will humble yourself before God. But this does not lead to despair. This leads to hope. To hope and cleansing that is yours in Jesus Christ. Because God so loved the world, yes, God so loved you, that He gave you His only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And that is what we must remember and call one another to remember as well. Indeed, the fall into sin has affected our minds so much. Sometimes the fall into sin has also affected our minds, has affected our bodies. So that, yes, we do suffer from medical diagnoses. And indeed, there are indeed many reasons as to why, through our mind or so, that we do have a mental illness, which is in fact a part of our fallen nature, not on account of our sin. And in certain situations, there is great profit in medication, in therapy, in counseling. It's right and appropriate to make use of these things in an appropriate way. But in all of this, whether that be the case or not, let us call one another to remember who we have been created and whom we have been recreated to be. For you are a redeemed, sanctified child of God. Your only comfort in life and in death is in the fact that you are not your own. But you belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who has fully paid for all your sins with his precious blood and has freed you from the power of the devil. Years 7s, 8s, 9s and 10s should know that very well by now. You belong to Him. In your baptism, you receive promises from the triune God. God the Father testified and sealed to you. He gave you the guarantee that He adopts you to be His child. With your baptism, to, baptism into the name of God the Son, you were promised in Him that you are washed from your sins. That you are freed from your sins. That God no longer looks at you in your sinful state, but it sees you in and through Jesus Christ. That you, in Christ, you are counted righteous before God. And by being baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures you that He will live in you and make you share in all the riches and treasures in Jesus Christ. In fact, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The value that God has placed on you, the value that God has placed on your body is so much that not only did He send His Son to die for you, but His Holy Spirit has made His home in you. And that is how you, redeemed Christian, are to see yourself. And that's also how you are to see others. Because then when you abuse, when you dishonor, when you hate, when you injure, when you even kill your neighbor, you are doing this to the one who is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And when you do this to your neighbor in Christ, you are doing this against one whose body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You were created in the image of God. And as Christians, you've been recreated to be the temple of God. Your life is precious. And the life of your neighbor is precious. And so what should we do? Well, let's continue to turn from death to life. Live the life you've received in Jesus Christ. Call your neighbors and those who remain in the darkness of death to join you in the light of life. Because the opposite of murder is love. And the love that we share is the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is in Him that we see the value that God places on human life. The value that He's placed on your life. And on the life of your neighbor. So turn to Him. Live in His love. And then show that love to others. Amen. Let's sing together from Psalm 34, verse 6 and 7.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, the scriptures say that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You are the one who has given us life, and you are the one who gave us life again. Yes, life forevermore. Father in heaven, we thank you for what we've heard about the value of human life. Its value from the beginning as created and its value in Christ and its recreation. We thank you, Heavenly Father, we may know that this is indeed an intensely personal confession, personal doctrine that you have indeed revealed to us in your word. Personal because, Lord, it, it speaks of us and of our own bodies and of our own lives. May each one of us recognize, Lord, that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. May our souls know that well. And Father, we pray for those amongst us also who are really struggling with that who has such intense feelings of, of self-doubt, such feelings of rejection, of worthlessness, of feeling numb, of not, not being able to, to rejoice in the light of life. And Father, where it is needed, we do pray that they may receive the attention and also the medical help for that. But we especially pray for them and for each one of us to see once again just how blessed we are that we are not our own, but that we belong with body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. And then, Father, we pray that, that we may then seek to give you glory and honor. And grant to then, Lord, that we may then truly love our neighbor as ourselves. In a world of death and in a culture of hatred, may we be an aroma of life. And so, Father, we also pray that you also bless the small efforts that we might make in various ways to speak of that life that we have in Christ and of the preciousness of human life also to others. And so, Lord, we also do pray for your blessing upon ministry which is done in Armadale and Rockingham, other places also, for the protection of the unborn, also to care for for, for mothers who, who need and, and the assistance as well when they're having children. And so, Lord, we do pray that through pregnancy matters also, this message of life might also go out. And so, Lord, we also do pray for your blessing upon the work of Pindari, that through this way also, we may be able to reach out also to, to those men we may have such serious feelings of, of self-doubt, of brokenness, of recognition also, of the effects and the consequences of decisions and of where their life has gone. That they may seek healing and forgiveness and wholeness in Christ Jesus. And that they too may enjoy and, re and rejoice in the redemption that we have in him. We pray too, Lord, for those who are aged amongst us. Bless too the work which is done at Fairhaven. Thank you, Lord, also for the, the dedicated staff and the volunteers and others who are, are working there. And we pray, Lord, that they may be able to do the work joyfully. And we also pray that in this way, 
that we may show true honor also to our elderly parents and grandparents. And that this way also we might also just bear witness to how we truly are to respect also those who are aged amongst us. We pray, Lord, for those who, who are expecting children. If it is your will, Lord, we do pray that you'll make things well with the mothers and these babies. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the babies may indeed be born in due time. And whatever it may be, we, whatever may happen, we know that these will be embraced as beautiful children because they too are formed and fashioned by you, bearing your image. And Father, we also do pray for those who dearly love to receive children or love to receive another child. But for one reason or another, that is not possible or has not happened. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll comfort them, that they too may, may continue to find their, their peace and well-being in you. Father, we pray that you'll bless us as a congregation, that we might work well together, that we may love, fear, serve, and honor you, even as we love our neighbor as ourselves. And then we willingly and cheerfully use the gifts that you have given to us individually for the well-being and for the benefit of others. Thank you for this day. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless us as we go from here. And also that you'll bless us as we go about our work and activities in the week that lies ahead of us. Father, we yearn, we long for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when you'll make all things well. But until that time comes, Father, we pray that you'll continue to prepare us, that we'll be ready. And may we also then be faithful in the task that you give to us, also in the week that lies ahead. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You now have the opportunity to give your thank offers to the Lord as for the work of mission in Papua New Guinea. Uh, following this, we'll sing again from Psalm 146, Psalm 146, verse 4 and 5.
Let us lift up our hearts unto the Lord to receive his blessing and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.